Um, Pastor Curtis asked me to speak, and uh, I told him I really hadn't had anything on my mind or really preparing anything for a message lately. I'd just been reading books about church and leadership, and well, I just got through reading a book on leadership called The Life-Giving Leader by Tyler Reagan. He is the leader of uh, the Catalyst uh, Leadership Conference. Um, I really highly recommend the book. It just came out in September, and I went and got it, and it's a really, really good read. Uh, the Life-Giving Leader by Tyler Reagan. Um, it's really simple read. Um, you'll get through it really quickly. Um, it has one big overall arching theme. It's got five points underneath that. And one thing I really, really, really enjoyed about the book is that all the points, um, all the application under each point, he, he really gives a lot of application. Um, and it's, man, it's really thought-provoking and I've really enjoyed it. So I just pulled a, f- a few uh, notes, a few points from that book. I uh, wanted to bring you guys, all you leaders here at Bravehearts. I only pulled a couple of points uh, for time's sake. But like I said, I really re- recommend for you to go get the book. Because um, as, as Christ followers, we're all called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to th- those who are lost, uh, to those who are not, that, are not have, that have no life in them. Um, so as leaders... Um, as we are all leaders, because everyone is a leader, and you guys, you, you men know this, um, it could be either just leading your family, uh, leading your sphere of influence, or at work, everybody is a leader, but we're all to take charge, to lead um, a group of uh, men, of believers, and to go find the lost, to give life to others. And But to be a life giver to others, we have to have something to give, right? You can't just give something that you don't have. Um, God has given each and every one of us unique gifts and unique talents, and he's wired us a special way. And the sooner that we become aware of our special uniqueness in our life, uh, the, the, more, um, the, more, the more efficient that we will be in our life, the better life-giving leader we will become. And I truly believe that uh, we all have seasons in our life, like right now, the season change is trying to change right now still trying to make up his mind i love that about amarillo is how we experience many different seasons um i used to not like that growing up i did not like the panhandle i always wanted to move somewhere else where it was really a lot warmer but i've really enjoyed the different seasons and so and as i've gotten older i've learned that you know in my life there are so many different seasons seasons in my life and 10 years ago the season that I was in and the way I led was very different than the way I'm leading today. And then the season that you're in right now might be different than where you were 10 years ago. So every now and then I feel like it's important that we step back and look at the season that we're in and the new, maybe some new things that we have, new things that God's put in our, our plate and how we need to lead. I ask you a question. Have you ever felt as if your soul and life itself have become brittle and dry? lacking fullness and abundance. If, ha- if you've ever experienced that in your life, then you'll relate to Ezekiel uh, chapter, thir- chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37. And it's the story of the valley of dry bones. And this is a very, this is a unique scripture. And it's kind of, kind of weird, but it's fun too. I'm going to read it. Uh, verse 37, beginning in chapter 1, it says this. The hand of the Lord was upon me, And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry, 
And he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So he's having, Ezekiel, he's having to prophesy to these bones that are just laying on the ground and say that God will breathe new life into them. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and, I was, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. I mean, that, that'd be freaky. <laughs> that's, that's just weird, okay? The Old Testament, man, you never know what you're going to find. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Now prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. So these bones came together, tendons and flesh became, and then breath became, and then now we have new life, and it's a vast army of them. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up, and our hope is gone, and we are cut off. Therefore, prophesy to them, say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says, O my people, I'm going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you, and you will live, and I will settle in your own land. Then you would, And you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken, and I have done it, declares the Lord. Man, that, that brings kind of a whole new meaning to the, that song that we just sang Sunday, Great I Am. Let these dry bones live again. I had forgotten about that scripture, and then I remembered it Sunday. I was like, oh, man, that song means a little bit more to me now. I want to see dry bones live again. New breath, new life. Have you ever been in a situation where someone spoke life into you? And it was as if breath had entered your lungs really for the first time. Have you gone through seasons that were so long and dry that when something life-giving came around, it was as if you received new breath? This prophecy of hope was given to those who had lost all hope. They were as dry as bones, and that's when God gave life. We know, we know that you know, God could have really easily just gone to these bones. If he wanted to create a vast army, he could just instantly spoke it, and these bones would have come to life. But we'll read over and over and again and again that God loves his people and loves to reach his people through his people, through his leaders. And so, men, this is the encouraging word for all of us. He wants to use each and every one of us to speak life into other people. There's other people that are in the valley of dry bones, like Israel was, lost hope, dry and brittle. And God wants to speak life through you, through them. 
through his people. I have a little picture here. This is, um, I've not been to the Grand Canyon. Uh, this is they, what they say is Horseshoe Bend. Has anyone been there? Has anyone been? We have one, a couple of takers. Good job. Um, I can't wait. I want to go sometime. It's really, I'd love to take my kids. Um, I don't really think the drive would be very fun, but I'm going to go sometime. But this is Horseshoe, uh, Horseshoe Bend, and that is the Colorado River. And so, not, no, never really knowing this, I did not know that the Colorado River is what really they say would form the Grand Canyon. But that right there is a legacy. That is a legacy of the Colorado River uh, creating the Grand Canyon. That is the influence. The Grand Canyon is like the influence of the Colorado River. But then if you backtrack and keep backtracking and keep backtracking, you actually see that man was straddling the Colorado River. We might look at our influence and think that our influence might be very small. <laughs> so small that this guy was even just standing over it. I've actually seen pictures that are smaller than this, the, where the river's a lot smaller than just that. This is where you might think your influence is, and that's where you might actually be starting in life. But as the river keeps going, as it keeps going, and others are pouring into it, other streams are coming in, the Grand Canyon becomes, and the Colorado River is legendary. It has a vast, it has a huge legacy. So a big point to, to know in the kind of really the overarching theme of really what I had learned in that one book is this, when life flows, influence grows. When life flows, influence grows. I'm just going to go back to this picture, go back to that picture right there. It's a cool one. When life flows, influence grows. We have the option to either let life flow from us or keep, or we end up keeping what we have. And sometimes i got to ask myself this, is am I letting life flow from myself? Or am I just harboring what God has put inside me? So I have to ask myself now is, uh, what, do, what do I want my legacy to be? Am I going to keep it smaller or is it going to be bigger? Do I want to have influence? What does my legacy say? How are you letting things flow into your life so that you become, your influence can become larger and larger and larger? How, do you, how you lead affects other people's life. How you lead will affect other people's life and their faith. This picture right here, this is Brian Houston. He is the, a pastor of Hillsong and down in Australia. And this was... He posted this on his Instagram a couple of months ago, and this was Brian in Los Angeles sitting in a chair that he sat at 30 years ago looking over L.A. And at the, in this chair, he had God spoke to him and said, one day you will have influence in this city. Fast forward 30 years, he's sitting there and remembering not only does he have influence in L.A., but he has influence all over the United States, all and all over the world, not just in Australia. And the first time when he sat in that chair, there's only like 20 people attending his church and they're meeting in a library. He thought his influence in the world was going to be very small, but God had other plans. This is a man who understood exactly what, how God created him to be. 
And he was going to run in that lane and give life to others. And with that, his influence grew. Mark 8, verses 34 through 37, through the message, uh, it says this. Calling the crowd to join his disciples, Jesus said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me, and I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do in to great okay what 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 good would it do to get everything you want and lose you the real you man i love how that was put in the words how, what does it take what would it take to actually lose you why would you not sac- you were seriously going to not surrender your entire life just so that you're afraid of losing but god said Dude, it's going to take sacrifice, but I'll show you. I'll show you the real you, who I've created you to be, and you'll have great influence, man. So we've got to be all in, no regrets. Jesus as priority. Because I tell you, the most influential leaders in the world are the ones who serve from their truest self. So in this book that I read, um, it has really five points that really kind of, that's the big overarching thing, is finding your truest self. And I pulled a couple of points, and one, one point that I really, really, really enjoyed is says becoming self-accepting. To be, an, to, to be a life-giving leader, to have influence flow from your life, you've got to become self-accepting. This could actually be one of the best things that you can do really for yourself to bring life for your, to yourself. It's the accepting what God has made and how God has, God has made you. And sometimes we have to um, understand how things were made. You know, if, when you understand how certain things are made and what they're, the purpose of what they're made for, then you can actually understand what it is that you're using. And so sometimes you need to understand how you were made. In Psalms 139, verse 13, it will tell you, For you created my inmost being, God. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully, wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. You were created by God for God. But here's the deal. Sometimes we look at ourselves and we think, Dude, I know for myself, and I've had and some of you I might have had others speak into your life and say, This is what you're bad at. Have <laughs> you read that? I've had that. <laughs> I've had it a few times. <laughs> People come say, You know what? Let me tell you what your character flaw is. <laughs> Let me tell you this. And people have probably spoken this into you. You're not very good at this. And really easily we can look at these and hear these words and look into our life and saying, God, you made a mistake. Everyone keeps telling me this over and over and over again. But what if God, if we actually think about it, and God, whenever he was knitting us together and creating us, this whole character flaw that we thought we had, God was sitting there thinking, you know what, I'm going to give him a little extra dose of this. 
and I'm planning on using it. Rethink everything that our thoughts are. Instead of being a character flaw, but when God was, you know, had you on the, you know, the counter and was doughing you and put, mixing and blending and all that stuff, whatever you do, I'm not a cook, so I don't know. But and then he's putting all this extra stuff in here and all this, and he's like, man, this right here, he's going to think this is going to be a character flaw, and people might tell him, but it's not. And I can really testify to this. This really speaks to my life, because whenever I was as a young boy, it took me a while to start talking. And so I had to go to speech therapy. And then at speech therapy, I found out that uh, they told my mom that I had auditorial processing. And they said, your son has an issue. He's going to have issues the entire life. He can't just hear things. When he hears things, it just doesn't connect to there. And then it really does not going to come out. So it's going to take him longer to speak. He's really good at seeing things and can learn. So when he's at school, he needs to sit up front to learn better. Because he can't, if he's not, if he can't hear it, he's not going to be very good. This, so I had to work really hard. So today, so, so this, just this book that I read, I listened to it, and two nights, just two nights at home, I listened to it. I don't really take very many notes because I hear very well. I had to learn. When I was little, I had to work really, really hard. I had to sacrifice to learn how what it takes to hear things, to process it, and for it to stick. Now it's one of my greatest strengths is I can hear things and I can do it. And so, but then I have a gift of seeing things. So but I don't stress out about seeing things. It just comes naturally. So sometimes we have to rethink what we're doing. They say, hey, you need to figure out what your, your strengths are and work there and then hire people to work in your weakness. Well, instead, why don't you work in your weakness because you're naturally going to do your strengths. But work on your weakness, what you so-called think your weakness, because God gave you that. And I'll tell you, it's not a weakness. It's going to become your strength. So what story are you telling yourself? There's a, there's a famous quarterback, some of you might have heard of him, Tom Brady. Um, you might like him, you might not like him. Um, I like him as a football player. I mean, outside of football when he's off the field, I don't know. Um, I think it's pretty funny. It's more I got to learn about Tom Brady. It's, I love seeing videos. He's actually, actually, he's like really not really a good teammate <laughs> and really not a good leader. And I love seeing the videos of him on the sidelines trying to give high fives and no one will give him a high five. <laughs> None of the teammates really like him. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. <laughs> so, but anyways, Tom Brady, uh, when he's about 27 years old, so it was a while back, um, after he won his third Super Bowl, he sat down for an interview for, for 60 minutes and they were interviewing him and his success already at 27, three Super Bowls. And uh, I said, what makes you great? And it's a fascinating interview. He actually sit there and says, um, you know, I, I can look around, and, man, we have some amazing quarterbacks in the league. I watch video of Michael Vick, and all of y'all remember Michael Vick, and how he'd run all over the place. The pocket closed in, and he just would scramble out and make a play happen. And Brady said, man, I would see that. Man, I wish I could do that. Man, that'd be awesome. He's like, but that's not who I am. What's best for our team is that I sit in the room, read, learn defenses, so whenever I'm at the game, I can see what the defense is doing, find the open man, and throw it to that guy so he can go and score. That's the best thing for our team is that I do that. So Brady has figured it out. 
He's, he knows exactly what his gift is, and, what, and he knows what he's not. So he, is, he would love to be like Michael Vick, but instead he's, he's not chasing other people's uniqueness. He's staying in the lane of him, and with it, he's really great. So ask yourself, are you chasing other people's uniqueness, other people's leadership skills? The social media really influence us, influences us in this area. It's hard not to be looking in other people's life and seeing all their special things that they're doing. But we got to have a check our hearts, think about, check our minds, and think, are we chasing other people's uniqueness or are we running in our own lane? Because whenever we don't lead from our true self, we're like creating a dam and preventing the flow of life from going from us because we're not flowing the way that God created us to be from our true self. And we need to become consistent like a bridge. All right, second point is this. It's self-confidence. Self, you got to be self-confident. Self-confident in who God made you to be. Dude, I, I mean, this one, when I read the book, this one really stuck out to me and really uh, spoke to me, spoke to my heart. Um, in the book, uh, uh, he actually used uh, an example, and I really like this example, of Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps won many, many gold medals, and then actually after he won like 18 gold medals, he took two years off. He was done. He actually retired. After two years, he came back. He decided, you know what, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to do this again. And he goes back, and guess what? He does it again, right? <laughs> he wins more gold medals. But how could he have actually won those gold medals after taking two years off? Because the dude knew he could. He was confident in himself. And if you watch golf and remember Tiger Woods at the top of his game, and any golfers really... The ones who are very successful, they trust in their body. They trust in their swing, and they are confident, and they go up there. Man, I, I hate watching golf because of this. But they, they, just, they just walk up there, I mean, they just, you know, and then they get up there, and they just, oh, it's, yeah, it's like two feet from the hole. That's all right. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm just sitting there. I'm, you know, I'm doing the whole jittery, and I'm, and I'm swinging. I'm, you know, baseball swing and trying to go far as I could. I'm like, it doesn't look very natural to me because I'm not confident in my golf swing. <laughs> I always tell people if they paid me millions, I might actually be a little bit more confident in my swing. But these guys are there and make millions because they are confident in their swing. And then if you think back to Tiger Woods and think about his life and his, in, his back injury and his personal life, then guess what? He was no longer confident in the swing. So look at his golf game. Michael Phelps was confident in his body that he could do this, that he was created for that. So how confident are you? The Apostle Paul begins many books, but in 1 Corinthians 1.1 it says this, Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. The end. He starts many books. I, Paul. I, Paul, called by God to be an apostle. In another book, I, Paul. Called by Jesus Christ. It could be a little arrogant, but it could be a lot of confidence that Paul keeps announcing and speaking over himself, saying, I, Paul, am called. I mean, I, it's kind of like that message I spoke 
month ago or whatever it was in, on that Sunday and speaking over yourself. Do you wake up in the morning and say, I, Brett, am this? We need to speak over ourselves so that we can have the confidence to walk in the calling that God's called us to. Because whenever you don't, it really is as if you're questioning God and how he created you. Are you questioning what God and how God created you? Like I said, you've got to build your self-confidence with Scripture. Build your self-confidence with Scripture. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through, th- 1 through 3, through the translation of the message, it says this. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on, it means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both begun and finished this race where we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in what with God, and he put up with everything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside the Father. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over the story again, item by item, that long, uh, uh, latini, I never, I, uh, that's a word I did not receive, uh, latini of hostility he plowed through. That will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Dude, get these scriptures. And it says, when you're flagging in your faith, Go back and reread the story of Jesus who's already experienced the cross, the shame, and all these things, and yet he's still finished. And it says this will give adrenaline for your bones to bring life into your bones. There's a, to, to finish this thing up, uh, there's a book about uh, this lady called Bonnie Ware. And she, is, she worked at a hospice clinic in Australia for seven years and every time that there was a patient that was on the last leg of their life she would go and ask them what is what was the biggest regret you had in your life so an account after account after account she would always ask these people what was your biggest regret and this is what she says the most common thing that the people in their deathbed with Bonnie Ware would say this I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. So a good question to ask yourself is just that. Are you living a life that's true to yourself or a life that's expected by others? Who is influencing your life? People have lots of things to say. And a lot of people like to tell you that they really know you. Let me ask you, do you even really know who you are? And you might be one thing 20 years ago, but today you're in a totally different season. (laughs) And God might actually have a totally different lane for you, and all of a sudden you're going to experience a special wiring in you that you might not have known that you ever had. And God wants you to run in that. Because you need to, He wants to use you to have life flowing from you to speak to others who are in that valley of dry bones.
Remember, the most influential leaders in the world are the ones who serve from their truest self.